Welcome back to Two Jack Bros. And of course, if it's your first time, thank you for giving us a shot. Welcome to you as well. I'm Sydney. I'm sitting next to Ansley. Hello. And today our guest is none other than the Chip Chantry. Thank you for the the number one. Oh, I, yeah. I, I'm excited. Number one. It's. I think I'm the only one. So you, are you sure we could fucking Google that? I mean, I, I don't want to get ranked against other Chip Chantries. <laughs> yeah. that, that's there's o- like there's only. It's it's only room to fall with that, so I can't. can't. Okay, fair enough. And before we get started, I'd like to remind you guys, please do all the things you do to show love to a podcast. Rate, review, subscribe, share with a friend. Uh, The ratings and reviews definitely help on iTunes. It helps grow the show, and we're trying to get this out there to the people. Uh, Also, check out Chip's podcast that he does with James Heskey called Dangerous Thing. And you can also catch him doing live stand-up comedy, which I'm telling you right now. You will thank me for it. Uh, Mar- uh, what, April 1st? April 1st. April Fool's Day. And where is that again? At Theater Exile through uh, Crossroads Comedy Theater. Hell yeah. You yeah. will not regret it. It will be the best thing you did on any April Fool's Day ever. Right? And uh, also, check out our Patreon. TwoJackBros.com. No. TwoJackBros. <laughs> no. Patreon.com <laughs> backslash TwoJackBros. Uh, this patreon uh, whatever we're getting into the show <laughs> chip what's up man uh not much how are you guys thanks for having me this is the, i love the studio by the way i love your lights there it's like it's super like i i sort of understand how technology works but it's like super bright but super calming at the same time is that a weird Good. thing to say like it just it's like not it feels warm and nice and i mean that's, that's kind of what we were going for yeah i mean you did you you thought we did the theme song Yes. You almost gave us credit for that. Yes. We can take credit for this. Okay. You know, we, we, perp- this, this was intentional. It works. Yes. It yes. works. Hell yeah. We did it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And, uh, yeah. So this is, this is probably going to be the, the longest I've ever sat down and talked to you. This I know. Exciting. Yeah. yeah. This is going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I feel like I haven't, especially like during COVID, I haven't like sat down and talked to a- any, anybody. So this is, was this that by, fun. was that by choice? Were you observing all of the rules and regulations of the pandemic? Yeah, we were, my wife and I were like super, super locked down for the longest time. Yeah. Yeah. I was out there trying to get it. I was running <laughs> around, no mask on. I wasn't wearing underwear or deodorant. I was out there trying to get it. All the holes open. Yes. Just <laughs> everything. So, uh, Chip, do you have any idea what we do on this podcast? Yes. Uh, yeah. I, uh, I don't understand it, but I know... <laughs> I, I know the step-by-step, but I don't understand Okay, it. awesome. But yeah. All right. And if you don't know, what we do is uh, basically the premise behind the podcast is we're trying to prove that you can have a dark sense of humor and still reach enlightenment or a higher consciousness. So what we do is we take our guests through the process of enlightenment, open up one chakra at a time so that you, the listener, can laugh your way closer to a higher consciousness. Mm-hmm. Damn it. That was the best I've ever said that. Yeah. Hell yeah. You redeemed yourself. I did. I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, so everybody gets the same questions, Chip. Mm-hmm. And Ansley, do you want to start it off? Sure. Uh, Chip, what was the situation or event where you learned the most information from? Um, the most information from? I think, I don't know if this is too general, but I think, and I don't want to sound too too general, but uh, just doing stand-up comedy. I think like the idea, like when I started stand-up comedy, I think... I was in my early 20s, so I think that's the time when everybody starts to really learn. But, like, I think I changed my mind a lot. Like, literally, like, the way my, my thought processes went. So I really went from just sort of accepting life and, like, well, this is how it was for my little small town and whatever it might be to, like, 
going out there and like just the process of a joke and looking for comedy is is questioning things and it was like, I feel like it was the first time I really stepped back and thought about like wait why is this this way you know I try I stopped taking things for granted so like I think just that process of stand up is what really changed my mind and then opened my eyes to I think a lot more does that make sense yeah it does can you remember some of your early epiphanies from that process um even just just like I still remember and this is ridiculous and this is dating me and how I mean this is the early to mid 2000s but I still remember there was another comic doing jokes about Fox News and I didn't even know what Fox News was like it was just like wasn't on my radar so it was like just something like that or um I think even just like diving into like my childhood too like I would do jokes about like being a kid and then it was like oh I was a lot more messed up than I thought I was you know like I was just like <laughs> anxious about everything or whatever like I, I kept going to that well and I just kept learning I think yeah obviously like sort of psychoanalyzing myself and was like oh my god like I, I never realized I was this way okay uh, just out of curiosity did that make you more or less accepting of other people's bullshit it, oh it, it definitely <laughs> it like the bullshit meter just just goes way down. I think when you're stand-up comedy comedian, because you're used to questioning everything. And I like the idea of, of stand-up is like I was that I was that nerdy kid, but like we stood on the side and just sort of made fun of everybody. Like that mm -hmm. was like the thing, you know. And I think that's what comedy is, or at least was. And you stood around, so like you always looked at both sides of everything. You dissected things. So not taking things for granted. Like my red flags for bullshit went up so much faster once I started doing comedy. Do you do you, do you feel that same way too? I do. I, I mean, it, my, it definitely went up, but it was um, my desire to do or say anything about it went down. Okay, right, yeah. because yeah. it was just like, uh, oh, that's that's their trap. <laughs> oh right. I mean? Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah, because yeah. then you're, and for me at least too, like it was, there was that moment that line in the sand when I first did comedy where like it was a very big night. Like that first night it was, I was like, oh, I'm a comedian now and this is what I'm going to do. I kind of lost all my friends. I broke up with the girl that I was dating and, and was just like, this is what I'm doing. So I- Wait, on I day was, one you broke up with the girl you were dating? I mean, not on day one, but like pretty close to it. And like we weren't dating for that long. It wasn't like yeah. we were, but I was like, I didn't date for like a couple of probably months, even a year or two. Like I was, I threw myself into it. And so it was like, oh, all that stuff that like my friends from high school and college were like always worried about. I was like, it just, it meant nothing to me anymore. I was yeah. like, this is all I want to do. So had you always wanted to do stand up or what was the, the drive that took you there? I always loved, like, from the time I was little, like, I don't know if you guys remember, my favorite show when I was 10 years old was MTV's Half Hour Comedy Hour. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that? It was, like, 7 o'clock every night, and I would record it, and it was Mario Joyner hosted, three comedians each doing seven minutes, and it was my favorite thing. And, but it's, like, how do you get into stand-up comedy? Like, what do you, you can't, you can't go to school for it. I mean, technically, I guess you can, but, like, I didn't know how to do it. So I just, I always did theater and music in high school, and thought maybe I'll be an actor or a writer and then just kind of got out of it. And then uh, my brother, I was like two or three years out of out of college and my brother was in a band and they booked me to open for them without telling me. Uh, and it was two weeks before the gig and they're like, we know you've been writing stuff. You have to do this now. You're going to get up on stage and perform. And now, was this before the first time you went up on stage or was this the first time? That was the first time. Oh, like wow. I was always just too scared and also not 
was like, where do you go? I didn't know about comedy clubs. I mean, I knew they existed, but I didn't know. I'd never been to one, and they were just like, no, you're going to do comedy on this night. It was at Fergie's, actually. They were, oh, they were doing a show at Fergie's. So that was the first time I ever ever did stand-up. So how'd how that, was, yeah, how'd that, how'd that night go? Way better than it should have. Like, it was, the deck was stacked because, you know how Fergie's is, like 60 mm-hmm. people packed in there, and it's my brother's band, and then people knew I was doing stand-up, so it was all friends and family, basically. So, like, they're going to laugh. I wasn't that good, I'm sure. And... But, like, you probably remember this, like, I have this visceral memory of, like, the first joke that I told and then that wave of laughter that hit me. Mm-hmm. Like, I still remember, pe- like, specific people's faces, where they were sitting, exactly how it hit me, and was like, that's it. Like, I'm, I'm just done. And I thought that I was going to bomb and then cross it off my bucket list and then go skydive or whatever and, like, do, do yeah. my next thing. And... It just that feeling. I was like, "Oh my god, this is what I've been waiting for like my entire life." And then I just, I just never, never looked back. Yeah, it's pretty wild. So the first time that I actually told jokes in front of people, it wasn't at an open mic or a standard comedy show. My college was hosting a step show. Okay, and it was the like the championships for all of these different fraternities and sororities from all over mm-hmm. the area, and they all came to our theater for this. And uh, myself and another guy were hosting it, and. My plan was to just tell jokes the whole. I was like, this. Like, I always wanted to be a stand-up comedian. I was like, yeah. this is it. This is your moment. This you have it. the microphone. Do it. And uh, like you said, it went way better than it should have. Yeah. You know, I had no idea. Like looking back on that, it's just like, oh my god, they were. Just, they just liked. I think they just like they were just so enthusiastic for the event they all came to. Right. You know. So yeah. it was like I should have bombed. <laughs> well, and that's the thing too. Like I literally couldn't sleep for two nights after I did that first set I was like oh like I was just electric I was just vibrating and then so then what I did like I don't consider it my first year of stand-up like I did that it was like in January and then I got scared and did my first open mic like three months later because I just wanted to ride that wave and I was like I wanted to be able to say that I oh I killed and I had a great you know I'm a comedian but like I don't want to do the work because I'm afraid that I'm gonna bomb and then I went to an open mic at the northeast and did very mediocre at best, you know, and then, so it was just like that, that first high and then just a year or two of just very little feedback, you know, just like, but it's, I mean, that's what, that's what you got to go through. And it is. And so the, the real quick, the funny thing about, so this step show that I went to, you know, they were, it was for all these fraternities and sororities outside of our school. And we didn't have a black fraternity or sorority at my college. So none of my friends were at this. Oh, so they weren't in... No. Oh, so not only weren't they there, they weren't even... Not even... Not so even you didn't in, know anybody in the crowd? No, it was... Oh, a, that's great. It was, yeah. See, right? like, I had a stack where yeah. it was like, oh, they're going to laugh at me probably no matter what because they'd feel bad. But, oh, so you had a... I mean, you were on, you know, it was like neutral territory right there. Yeah, all strangers, urban audience. Yeah. <laughs> for the first show. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it did really well. But afterwards, you know, that high that you're talking about, like, I didn't have anybody that I could, like, disperse that to because nobody saw it. So the first person I tried to talk to about it was just like, yeah, yeah and what? Right. You know? So yeah, they don't know. Yeah. Ugh. So, uh, yeah, so before we move on, so how would you distill into, you know, like a sentence or two that learning experience from stand-up, comedian, uh, stand-up comedy? I think it's just, and it's how I try to approach stand-up, but also life is basically just like something I never did was question everything. Like, Look at bo- try to look at both sides of everything and try to see it from as many angles as you can. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to open up these chakras. 
Here we go. Okay. So the first chakra that we open up is the survival chakra located in the butthole. We just got to let everybody know that. I'm, I'm prepared. <laughs> I'm ready for this. Right. I am. Ansley, get in that butthole. Chip, how did you learn to overcome fear? I, I haven't totally. Uh, I'm a very afraid person. Uh, I, I will say that it's very interesting you asked that because very recently I think I've learned to deal with a lot better. Uh, I just read a book uh, two months ago, uh, Del, you know, Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And mm-hmm. then I, so I read that book, which is almost 100 years old, and you would think that it's outdated and totally it like nails how human nature works. And I was like, this is great. And then I read his next book, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. And I have like, I'm, I've always been an anxious person, always had a lot of anxieties. And it's funny, I was listening to Tyler Rothrock's episode. Oh, yeah. And I'm not quite as severe, I think, as him, but uh, I, I definitely have, like, health anxiety issues and, you know, hypochondria. And it's, like, these last two years have just, like, rocked to me. Like, I've just, like, really been bad. And a couple, I just, I didn't know what to do. Like, and I probably should go to therapy. I should maybe be on medication, whatever. I just, like, haven't gone that route. But I read this book, and it's just very concrete stuff to, like, here's how you overcome like worrying and like being afraid. So it's like the, the one thing he, they're, they're always like 95% of things you worry about, like anybody, 95% of your anxieties literally never come true. Like you worry, like what if I get in a car accident? What if I get sick? What if I run out of money? What if, you know, this happens, you know? And it's like 95% of those things will never, ever happen. So you're just like, play those numbers. Yeah. And then another thing that it said that I really try to do that's helped me is like, if you're anxious about something right now, worried about something, put yourself two months in the future. Because like, if you think back to two months ago, things you were worried about, you're like, oh, that was just all bullshit. And like, it never came true. Everything's fine. I don't have to worry. But you know, I got yelled at at work or you know, had a fight with my wife or thought I was sick or whatever. And then so it's like, I just put myself in like April or May now. And it's like, oh, if I'm worried about something today, by May, this isn't going to be... I'm not going to be worried about this anymore. And ho- you know, hopefully at least, you yeah. know, so then I, that's like one thing that I just try to do is just like try to turn off that thought spiral of just like, oh my God, I'm dying. Oh my God, this thing's happening to me or like whatever. And it's just like around and around. It just kind of cuts that, that spiral off to, to, cause that's what I do. It's just a spiral. It's just like worrying is like, he talks about like concern. It's like, you should be concerned about things. And obviously you want to be concerned about and be, you know, conscientious of your life, but like worry is just when that concern just, you can't turn it off. So it's like, if you can just like cut that spiral and like jump off and that's what I've been trying to do recently. It's been, it's been working. So yeah. So I think hopefully, yeah, I'm not as afraid as I used to be, or at least I move on from the fear. Now, before you started reading these books, before you got these new methods to deal with this, Mm -hmm. can you remember a time when you were the most scared? Oh yeah. Yes. Very distinctly. Um, and this was probably uh, really what started. Like I, over the years, like my, I had this like health stuff because I think it was honestly from comedy because I was teaching all day and then doing comedy like you know four or five nights a week. I was always exhausted, and so I was I could never be sick because you can't take a day off of teaching. You can't I can't miss a show. So I was always worried that I was gonna be sick. And then I like turned into other things. Um, almost to the day two years ago, uh, I was right before the the lockdown. I was on stage at the Borgata performing. It's the last show I did before everything shut down. Um, I walked out on, I wasn't feeling well that day and I walked out on stage 
and I had my microphone. I was like, I was hosting the show, and I said, how's everybody doing? And as soon as I said that, this muscle pulled like on my side. Mm. And I was like, oh, shit, this is bad. Like, I just pulled it. And then through the show, I'm just trying to like, you ever do that where it's like, there's something wrong with your body. And so I'm just trying to, I was just like trying to nonchalantly just like, and throughout my 20 minute set, the pain got worse and it wrapped around my chest mm. and it just was like the worst pain. And by the end of my set, like my voice wasn't projecting, <laughs> like it wasn't coming out. I'm like, what is happening? Like it, this isn't just thrown at my back. Either I really threw on my back or like, am I having a heart attack? Like what's happening? And I get off stage and I, it was funny. It was the best set I had all week. It was, it was yeah. somehow I, that I pulled that off and I got off stage and I was like, I was driving home that night cause I had to teach a class at helium the next morning. And I was like, if I'm something's wrong with me, but like, I just want to get home. Like I, it's an hour yeah. drive. I was like, maybe I can do this, but I was like, I might be having a heart attack. Something's <laughs> going on. I get home. My wife knows that I'm, you know, like this. And she's like, just calm down. Everything's probably fine. Just lay down, like whatever. And so I fell asleep, had an awful night of sleep, woke up, felt a little bit better. And I started walking to helium the next morning to teach my class. And I got two blocks and I was like, I can't do this. And like, I came back and she's like, well, let's go to urgent care. Let's something's going on. So we went to urgent care and they just checked me out and they did like an EKG and they did like a chest x-ray and they're like, you pulled something in your back or whatever. And I'm getting ready to, I'm like getting dressed again. My wife and I are in the, the room and, and I'm just getting dressed again, put my shirt on and we think everything's fine. And then I just hear the doctor out in the hallway. She's on the phone and she's like something, something, emergency room, something, something, something. And she comes into the room and she's this young woman, this doctor, and she just has this look on her face. And it's literally the most scared I think I've ever seen a person. Mm. And it's about me. Yeah. And she's like, I hate to tell you this. She's like, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you need to go to the emergency room immediately. You have a collapsed lung. Holy shit. Wow. So like one of my lungs like collapsed the night before and yeah. it's been like 12 hours and I haven't done anything about it yet. And uh, so like, we, she's like, we can get you an ambulance, but she's like, just get an Uber. It'll be faster. Go to the hospital. So we went to the hospital and like, I had ne never really had any health issues before or anything like that. And uh, so like, they took care of it and like it took i was in the hospital for like two days and it's not even like a surgery it's just this like procedure where they like suck air that got st stuck in your chest they just like suck it out and uh they did every test under the sun and they're like you're perfectly healthy it just happens sometimes it's just like a spontaneous thing it happens to guys a lot and That's alarming right yeah they're like oh it could just happen <laughs> right just deflate yeah. so they're wow. like like they tested me for like every disease every situation or whatever and they're like you're fine it probably won't happen again <laughs> it might but it probably won't and and like again i'd never spent a night in the hospital and there i was and i get home and then two days later, the world shuts down with a, like a lung disease. Yeah. And then all I have to do for a year and a half is just sit there <laughs> and stare at the walls and think about the fact that my lung is going to collapse again. And like that just like threw me into like a complete spiral for like a year and a half, like of trying to focus on something else, but being like, oh, I'm going to, it's going to, it's going to happen when I'm sleeping again. I'm going to die. Like that's what's going to happen. So, but that was the scariest moment of, of my life. Just seeing the look on her face was just, that blew, is blew my mind. terrifying. And, and Anthony, before you ask a question, um, I'm kind of hung up on the fact that an Uber was faster than an ambulance in that yeah. situation. Yes. Like, yeah. Was she gambling on your Uber driver being Jason Statham? Like what the hell? <laughs> yeah. Just like up on its side. <laughs> well, it's like, cause we were at like, it's like at like, 
I think like broad and federal or wherever that is not, it's not even that it's like broad and like, I don't know. Like it's like, it's on broad. It's like a four minute, five minute drive. So it's like by the time the ambulance gets here and then goes there, gotcha. it's like there's an Uber probably right around the corner. You can jump, jump in the Uber and then, and then get there. I've been hearing that more and more lately. Like people are like, Oh, we could call an ambulance, but it'd be a lot faster to just like do an Uber. It's crazy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. That, it's, just, it's just funny to me the idea that you get in an Uber and you're like, listen, I'm using you instead of an ambulance. And he's like, I've been training for this my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> you got into the right Uber today, sir. He just has one of those like sirens, you know, like yeah. you put on the, you know, <laughs> <laughs> That was, uh, yeah, did you have any questions about that? Like, so how, like if you had started running, like how long can a human live with one lung? Like what could so, you? I, you know, and I, as much as I, I try not to think about it too much or like research it too much, but like, I think if it would have gone much longer, like I don't think, I, and I could be totally wrong with this, but I think if it would have gone a little bit longer, like I think the lung would have really just collapsed on itself and then they it wouldn't have been able to open up again. Gotcha. So I'd basically have like one working lung. Yeah. So yeah. like, so I don't know how that works. And it's a, it's a weird thing because it's not like you don't have enough air. It's you have too much air because it's like the outer, like your it's your chest cavity that somehow air somehow got in there. I don't know how huh. it did, yeah. but like it got in there and then there's too much, too much air in there. So then your lung can't op- uh, open up. So yeah, cause yeah. there's too much like air. So like, but apparently I guess if it's like too small for too long, it just, it, it, I guess won't open back up or whatever. But huh. like I was lucky, like I got in and, and haven't had any, any, like it's been almost, they say, and they actually said it's, they were like, if it's going to happen again, it's most likely going to happen within the first two years. So like if you make it two years and it'll be, a week from today, if I make it a week from today, I'll be I'll be I'll be out of the two year woods. Nice. That's that is. I mean, especially for somebody who uh well, you're also reading those books to help deal with your worry and concern yeah. Yeah. over it. Perfect timing. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. 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 And it's also like, you know, the pandemic's hopefully just kind of over like things are open up yeah. again. So it's just like, all right, new chapter. Let's move on. Yeah, I mean that's a fear chakra unlocked for you, but I think I just closed mine because <laughs> I'm like, is my lung okay? How do my lungs look? Does my chest look wide? <laughs> it's terrifying. Uh, all right, so uh, I think we can move on. To yeah, the next one I sorry, Sydney. I just, can I, I get those books? By the way, yes, you can. I, by the way, I highly recommend. And like, I'm not like a. I don't read like a lot of like self help books. And like, you would think that like this guy who wrote these books and the the one is in the 30s one is in the 40s you would think it'd be like hokey and outdated and there's some stuff that's a little hokey but like it's like concrete real stuff where you can just be like oh i can do this today and if you think this way it just it changes your thought patterns and it was just it's it's crazy it's unreal yeah yeah i'm all about that right now like those tiny little like like in things that you kind of look at and you're like, you can ridicule and be like, oh, those silly little habits people tell you to do, yeah. you know, like they really work. They <laughs> really do. And it's like, it's one of those things where like, and I've, I've, and I should be better at it, but like you look at like mindfulness and meditation and stuff like that. Yeah. And like, and, and I'm not discounting this and I'm not looking down on this, but like it's, I'm not a big like mystical kind of like whatever, but at the same time, like, but if you're just working your brain, you're calming your brain down yeah. and you're breathing right. It's like, of course you're going to feel better. Like there's yeah. just, there's physical proof that that happened. Or, and even just like one thing that he talks about is, he, he actually talks about it in both books, but he's like, there's a physiological thing. And this sounds so dumb, but it's like, if you're not happy, smile, just smile more. And for, and because there literally is like, if you smile, like your brain th- 
to a certain extent thinks you're happy and you, it will follow. So it's like, if I'm like not feeling well or something like that, or I'm just like walking, I'm in a bad mood, I'll just like smile and you can feel yourself picked up just, even if it's just for like a couple of seconds or a couple of moments and it might just kind of move you to that next level. So it's just like stupid little stuff like that, but that really works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, big, I'm a big fan of the smile your way to happiness. Yeah. I used to, I used to, do, I used to when, I, when I was a high jumper, I used to have to do that a lot because I was always the shortest. Okay. And it was just a nerve wracking thing because like everybody, when you're all warming up together, you're seeing like how athletic everybody is. Yeah. And it's like, I'm the shortest. These guys are super explosive. I'm, I'm going to suck. Like even if I do my best, they're going to jump over me. Yeah. You know? So I, you know, just smile my way and just, it just got me out of that headspace so I could just at least lose on my own terms. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but I never did. I was the man. <laughs> and so you take us to the next one. So our next chakra is in the, the pelvis. It's about guilt. Uh, it's a section we like to call my bad. It's a chance for you to uh, apologize to a person, place, or thing in the universe in order to set your karma back to zero. All right. Um, apologize. I, one thing I've always felt kind of bad about is so when I started doing stand-up, years ago, I was a fourth grade teacher. Like, so I, I was a teacher for years and, uh, I, I guess I overlapped for about a decade. So for like 10 years, I was teaching fourth grade during the day and then doing stand up at night. And like I did it and it was a nice school and everything, whatever. But like, I d- always did my job. I always showed up. I was like, always early on time, did what I needed to do. But like, I was two years into my teaching job, probably when I started doing stand up, and I was just like, I'm done. Like, all I want to do is stand-up comedy. I want to be a comedian. I want to write for TV. I want to do this thing. So I always had one foot out the door. Like, I was always like, mm. like, I'll do my job, but, like, I'm moving on. And, like, I definitely phoned it in a lot, you know? And, like, I, I don't think I was derelict in my duties, but it's also, like, I could have spent more time with the kids and spent more time, like, connecting with them. And I think another thing, too, is, like, I was always, like, I don't know if you have ever have this where it's like definitely dual personalities when I was doing that because I was so afraid that like parents would find out that I was a comedian or that like kids would find me on YouTube or whatever so I was kind of serious I would fool around sometimes but I was kind of serious in the class and especially with parents I was like just like kept them at arm's length and was just like extra professional just because I didn't want them if they knew about it heard about it they're like oh he's just goofing around or whatever I was like no I'm super I'm super professional and like I didn't open myself up to the kids as much and so I always felt bad about that and like if a kid fell through the cracks or like if I could have spent more time and like if I would have just given up the comedy stuff and been like oh let me focus all my creative energy on this I could be the greatest teacher in the world maybe you know mm-hmm. like, like really do that but like I felt like I was like ah like you know and then you look back you know like ah, I could have spent more time doing that with these kids or like stayed after school with these kids to do this thing or that thing and so I always felt bad so I would like to apologize to that like to like that I I think I did my job, but I wish I would have. I could have done it a lot better. <laughs> and what grade, what grade? Fourth grade is fourth like grade. Talk? So like you know nine, yeah. ten years old, and like they were generally it was like really good kids. I really enjoyed them, but it was also like I always felt bad because I was always like three thirty. I'm I got to get down <laughs> get down to the city, you know, like to to become a you know big shot star, and uh, you know, so I I always I always felt bad, guilty that like I was like oh, I could have put more time and effort into that. Is, are there? Do you have a specific regret or concern? Like, is there are there a whole generation of kids that can't spell receive because of you? Yeah, I think that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. There's no I, I, the eyes and e's are completely irrelevant. Like, there's just there's no eyes, no e's, and, and anywhere they have no idea where that is. So yeah, it's yeah, and it's it's um, 
it's one of those things where we're like I think that um yeah like like it's it's just it, like there's the academic stuff but even just like oh I could have piled around with them more like yeah. we all had that favorite teacher where they like somebody was like and it's like oh I think I probably could have been that favorite teacher to a lot of kids yeah. maybe and like you know really bonded with it and like and that's the thing too where I like we my wife and I we don't have kids we're not planning on having kids and like I have this weird thing now I think with kids where it's like I don't dislike kids but like I'm just like and I got nieces and nephews. Dude, I'm but trying it, to be a comedian. But yeah, but it's, <laughs> it's also like, uh, and then there's like a little bit of regret of like, oh, I could have maybe hung out with those kids more, what you know. So yeah. uh, you know, so I wish, I hope they got something out of my teaching. <laughs> That's a pretty good apology. Yeah, I'm sure uh, a lot of parents would appreciate that apology. Yeah, you know. But that's uh, that. I mean, I did, I did have a couple teachers that were really important that they did kind of hang out after school to. Give me the attention that I needed. Right. You know, or just, uh, man, I remember this, uh, my one uh, teacher, Mr. Smith, who ended up getting caught up on some bogus, bogus <laughs> Me Too-ish charges. But back then, I mean, it could have been, it could have been not bogus. I don't, I don't right, want right. to victim blame here. Yeah. But he was, he was the, the first person that told me uh, that if you don't know the answer, you just have to know how to get it. Yeah. And yeah. That a, a complete because you know I was like I was in honors classes I was like in gifted and stuff and I thought I was just so smart mm -hmm. you know and he was just like hey, dude you you're you're focusing on the wrong stuff because even if you don't know the answers all you have to do is know how to get it and I was like I'm never reading again <laughs> like this is like I could just ask other people right like, yeah. this is like awesome yeah yeah horse's mouth go right to it yeah you know what i mean yeah it was, yeah so he, and it's that, and it's that thought process thing of not like here's how you spell things here's your times tables it's like here's how you become a learner here's how you yeah. it, and even deal with people like here's how you navigate life you know it's like those things that i think really stick out yeah that's uh all right we'll call that a uh pelvis chakra unlocked yes yeah all right ansley keep it going uh Chip, how do you move on from disappointment? Uh, that's, I think I do that better. And I think that's part of those, like I was talking about those books that I read, kind of mm -hmm. help move on from that. I used to be, I, I used to get like really wrapped up in the past and like, oh, I, I made this mistake. And then I'm just like, you know, I, I think the older that I get, the, you know, there is that thing of like the clock's ticking of like, especially with stand up and with, entertainment it's like i think that clock goes faster because it's like you know it's i'm not thinking of I mean, that women <laughs> <laughs> no, dude, we're, we're reaching our golden I'm a, age i'm a dude. dash i'm gonna be a silver fox you know what no. i mean yeah <laughs> <laughs> but like i'm like i can't spend i just think about the time like wasting time it's like i can't and i'm sorry the question it was re regret right or disappointment, disappointment. oh yeah. disappointment yeah. so it's like moving on from disappointment like i can't wallow in that too much and there's, you know, there's the past, present, and future. I'm, and I try not to do this either. I, I'm trying to live more in the moment of like, because I'm so focused on the future. I'm like nervous of like, am I going to get sick? Am I, is this going to happen? Like that. And it's like, it's like, I think about the past and I'm like, you know, I don't have time to think about the past anymore. It's like, it happened. It like, I had this opportunity and it fell through, but it's like, I can't, there's no way to go back. So I'm just like, let's learn from that mistake or pick myself up from that disappointment or whatever it might be. And just, I got to move on. I can't, 
I can't dwell on it too much because I used to. And then I'm like, I've wasted so much time doing that. So I just, I think of it as like time management. Okay. Yeah. Now, is there an early disappointment that haunts haunt you? And uh, so typically I like to ask people if they did sports and if there's like an early sports disappointment. But I know that you were saying downstairs that you did, you know, theater yep. things. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, it doesn't have to be from that. Right. But like, do you have an early theater disappointment that sticks out in your mind? Yeah, and it was from, and it's exactly what I'm still terrible at, which is amazing. I should learn from it. Is again, okay. I was not the best actor in the world. I wasn't the best singer in the world. I wasn't the best. I was definitely not the best dancer in the world. But like, you know, I would do the plays and the musicals and stuff like that. But I and I loved it. It was like my favorite thing in the world. Um, I think my biggest disappointment. I remember I was also like the president of the theater society or what you know like for mm. our high school and so it was partially my job to like promote the shows and advertise i'm like i'm 16 like the fuck do i know but like you know they're like hey you got to get the word out and you got to hand out all these flyers and go all around town and to come out on stage like the it was when i was present the first and i was also the lead in the fall play and to walk out to this like 700 seat auditorium and there was like 60 people there (laughs) and I'm like it wasn't all on me but like I felt like it was all on me and like the play was fine but like the back end of it that I like that I supposedly was supposed to facilitate like I guess I didn't advertise right or like whatever and there was like nobody there and I'm just like ah this is this is the and like you just it just felt dirty the entire time I'm on stage like we're doing the play and trying to do it but it's like there's nobody here and like why why are we even doing this and that so that was a big and it's like man i gotta get on the ball and that's what i'm still bad at is like I, i'm not saying i'm the funniest guy in the world but like i feel like i can do the artistic end of it the business end of things i'm always still just yeah, ter- so terrible at i'll be the one to remind you to check out his podcast dangerous thing yes they, see i don't even know how to do that it. no not at all he's got 60 listeners and we're trying to get that up <laughs> it's just as many people who came out to uh the 12th night on uh shakespeare's 12th night in 1994 yes were you were you president of anything in high school um was i president of anything um no, I was in a lot of clubs. I don't think I was president of anything. I was president of the National Honor Society. No big deal. Wait, were you? Yeah. Were you really? At Pottstown? Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, where, do you mind me asking? Where, where did you... Did you go to school around here? Uh, no, in New York. Okay, New York. Yeah. Um, I got a fun story about that. Um, you and I... I can't, so we were... Okay. I wasn't as good as this. Um, I was in the National Honor Society too. So yeah. I was in the National Honor Society. And there was this thing. My buddy, my buddy Dan, who... And between the two of us, we were like president of like everything like mm-hmm. i never did student council because that was like the popular kids because i wasn't popular i was like but so it was like not student council but like every other like club between dan and i we were president of like 12 organizations like in the school and we were running against each other and it like we didn't really care it wasn't like this big thing but we were running against each other for national honor society president and so we're like oh you know it was just fun and then I got called into the principal's office one morning. Like the assistant principal dragged me. He's like, hey, can you come talk to us real quick? And they sit me down. I think I'm in trouble. I'm like, I was never in trouble. And they sit me down. They're like, hey, just so you know, we need to tell you this. You were elected. You know, we just counted the ballots. You were elected president of the National Honor Society. Uh, but your grades have dropped. Mm. You're about to get kicked out of the National Honor Society. <laughs> so they're like, here's what we can do. And they're like, it's totally up to you, Chip. 
you can be president of the National Honor Society, but you might have to step down in disgrace because <laughs> next semester you in get disgrace. kicked out. Yeah. <laughs> or you can just let Dan be president and we'll just pretend that he's the president. And then if you and you can still get your grades up and stay in, but like if you don't, you know, it's gonna be a whole thing. And they're like, what do you want to do? I was like, I think Dan will make a wonderful president of the National Honor <laughs> so Society. so funny that they gave you that option. Yeah, and like they were really cool about it too. They were just like, so what do you want to do, Chip? And I'm like, because they knew I was a good kid. Like I was a good student. I was an honor student, like did all that. But like I was also like, it was like the Max Fisher thing in Rushmore. Like I was in like the AP class and the gifted classes. And I did I did well enough, but like Mr. Extracurricular. Like I did every, and I, so that's when yeah. I wasted all my time on that. And I wasn't studying as much. So uh, my parents didn't find out that I got kicked out and it was me and three of my buddies got, you ended got up getting out. kicked out yeah like you, just, <laughs> you got kicked out and it wasn't like, and it wasn't like he the guy was very nice about it he's like hey I'm sorry like it's just like you have to maintain like XYZ grade point average and then he had to come around one morning and be like hey I'm sorry guys you you lost it you know we gave you the warnings but I'm there's nothing I can do your grades and we're like okay and but like I had already applied to college I the college I went to I went early decision I was already accepted I was already in yeah. so it was my senior year I got kicked uh. so it was like my parents found out on graduation day cuz I didn't have like the sash <laughs> or whatever and they're like well you got into the college you wanted to so I guess it's fine yeah. you know yeah, you, you were in the honor society then Man. so you were so we were both elected but you you Took it a step better. You were, you were president. Well, for a little while. So here's what happened. So I won the presidency. And then the person who got second just was by default the vice president. Okay. But she wanted to be the president. And she was way more active in those types of things. Sure. And she kind of just took it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you usurped your power. Yeah. Basically. Amazing. Yeah. This is so, some West Wing shit right there. Yeah, I ended up finishing as the vice president of National Honor Society. <laughs> That's great. So you and I yeah. were both elected uh, president of National Honor Society, and neither of us made it a full term. Yeah, no, not <laughs> Amazing. At all. I was a lame duck president Amazing. of the National Honor Society. That's incredible. Yeah. I was in the running for secretary, and I, I lost <laughs> it. I think I lost it to the girl that, um, like, my high school boyfriend, like, was cheated on me with. Oh, God, that's the worst. That's the worst. Well, she was just better at keeping dates. I guess so. <laughs> Much more organized. Yeah. yeah. That's hilarious. Oh, man. All right. So that was definitely a disappointment chakra unlock. We got a little bonus. Disappointment yeah. yeah. Look at all. Look how disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> and look, and look I, I, like, it's like such a high level of disappointment. Like, we were all in the National Honor Society. Yeah. Come yeah. on. Like, Fair but we're, just, we're the. We're, we're just like the the rebels of the yeah, we were too the, cool we the were cool. bad boys of the national <laughs> yeah. that's so funny and uh so Anthony, keep it moving so we are to the heart chakra now chip what have you learned from grief grief um i i i gotta say this that you know so far not going like I, i've been very lucky when it comes at least like the death end of grief, uh, like mm. I've been very lucky, like my grandparents have all passed away, but like other than that, like I haven't lost anybody very close to me. So like, so I, I don't think I can speak to I don't it mean to interrupt well. you real yeah, quick, yeah, but yeah. He, the, the joke you have about your, Oh, my grandmother, your, yeah, her funeral, the funeral, totally one true. Of, one of the best. Thank you. Listen, go see this man. Be <laughs> April 1st, 100% happens. But, and I think, you know, and that actually comes back to that because the grandmother who passed away, I have a story about this that, um, so again, like I, I think it, my perspective would change. God forbid, like something, you know, somebody really close to me passed away, and like I haven't experienced that yet. So I, I don't think I can speak with a lot of authority on that. The one thing I will say that I think I learned, f for better or worse, I don't know if this is good or not, but 
my grand, my one grandfather, my dad's dad, who I'm named after, I'm mm-hmm. like the third, Paul the third. Uh, he was like badass, uh, like you know, Mad Men era. He was the man of the house, you know, patriarch, six six, mm. jacked. He was a a police officer in Narstown and then a county detective for years. Like he was like, he was like, he ran the, he ruled the roost. You know, he was like this very powerful man, very nice guy, but very powerful. Uh, when I was four years old, so this is like early eighties, four years old, uh, he was in a car accident and, uh, fender bender, like no big deal guy. He was at a stoplight guy rear ended him like 10 miles an hour, barely did any damage to the car, like nothing. But like I said, he was six, six. And back then, the old Chryslers, the headrests didn't come all the way up. Mm. So it just, whatever happened, just snapped his neck weird, uh, broke his neck, and was a quadriplegic. Like, oh, wow. you know, like Christopher Reeve, like, couldn't move from the neck down for, like, the last seven years of his life, you know. And, like, intensive care for, like, six months or a year, and then finally came home from the hospital, and it was 24-hour nurses, like, for the rest of his life. And he was this, like, powerful guy who was, like you know, missed headstrong, like whatever. And literally would like my brother and I'd be like hanging out with him or whatever. And like the other adults would leave and he would literally be like, when you say your prayers tonight, like pray that I die. Like he would say that. Like, she, like we're little kids and he'd like, and we're like, and we'd be like, no, we don't want you to, you know, and he'd be like, just please. He's like, I'm just, and there's definitely, and I'm not saying that that's like, he just wasn't, emotional which who can be but like and I know there's ways to overcome that and like you could live a productive life with that but like he wasn't equipped to to do that mm-hmm. and, and and most I think a lot of people wouldn't be you know and and so like I think I learned from a very young age and I think this has a lot to do with my anxieties and my like health issues and stuff like that but like that like there's worse things out there than death like mm-hmm. if he was just killed in a car accident it would just, it would have been sad, but it would have been over, you know? Yeah. And like, just to like see him like that for like all those years and like he was just, you know. And so, so I think like with grief, when, especially when it comes to like dying and grief. And, and again, like I said, I haven't had super close people, but like whenever somebody does die, I feel like I, I'm like, it's, it's sad and okay, but like, well, you know, maybe they're at peace now or, and they, they kind of move on. So it doesn't, I think it hasn't hit when people die, like it hasn't hit me as hard. And, um, even like, and again, this is not a person, but, uh, our, our dog passed away two years ago. We had him put to sleep and he was very sick. And like, he was, he's the best. We don't need kids. And he's, he was just like the best little guy. And when he died, like my wife and I processed it very differently. Like she was upset and not that I wasn't upset. I love the dog, but like she was very upset when he died. And like for a long time and like, as soon as we had him put to sleep, to me, it was almost like a relief. Like, mm-hmm. it was like, well, it's done now. And, but like, when he got, he was sick for a while. And like, when he really went downhill, like the last week or two, I couldn't function. Like, I was beside myself because I could see him suffering and he was sick. And then I knew we were going to have to go through with this thing. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, I, and again, it's like that future thing, that anxiety thing. It's not the past. You know, it's like, I'm just, this whole thing's built up. I like couldn't function for, two weeks leading up to the inevitable what was going to happen. But then as soon as it happened, it was like, all right, now I'm sad, but we can move on, you know? And yeah. it was, you know, and again, that's a dog. It's not a person. But like, so I, I think I've learned that like to try to take and put it, put it in perspective and like death and dying that way. And like, like I read this, this other book recently about like 
it was about a bunch of things, but like the one thing about these happy countries, like the happiest countries in the world. And I think it's pronounced, I think the country's Bhutan, it's Bhutan yeah. and like next to Nepal, like in, in yeah, Asia, yeah, yeah. up in the mountains. And it's got like one of the, like the lowest uh, GDPs of like any, you know, they know it's, it's a pretty poor country. It's a very small country. And, but it's one of the happiest countries on earth, you know, like statistically, whatever, however they, whatever they measure. And they said one part of that is probably that they, the way they deal with death is like, they talk about death all the time from like when somebody's a little kid, it's just part of life. And then it just, it's, you, you, you talk about your ancestors and it's just like, they have these different rituals and it's just like, it's just part of what happens. So like when people then do die, it's just like, it's not a, of a horrible thing. It's like not this like shock at the end or you're, you're, you're just in a hospital you've never been in or a nursing home or whatever. It's just like this awful situation where it just like happens. It's like, no, this is the natural progression. This is what happens. And people they say can just deal with death a lot, a lot easier, you know? So, so I think that's what it would just that weird incident with my grandfather, I think like really set me in a, a place of like, you know, uh, you know, people are at peace then, you know, it's like there, there can be a lot of suffering up to it. And it's like, maybe that's not the worst thing in the world, you know, and it's not, not for everybody, but like, you know, that I think, I think that's how I process it now. So when you look back on that experience as a four-year-old, having your grandfather ask you to pray for his demise, yep. uh, now you're an adult. Yeah. Do you look back on that situation and, and not wish that you did pray for him to die, but do you understand more where he's coming from? Oh, I totally do. You know, I, I, I totally do. And there's so many moving parts, but like, yes, I, I totally, cause I could see his perspective and it's like, you know, and then I think that's what got a lot of my anxieties. Cause it was like, what if I get in a car accident? What if I'm riding my bike and I fall off and I break my neck or, you know, is this can happen. And so I definitely see his, saw his side of it. And especially like just, he was a very headstrong guy and like, he's not the type of guy. I think like if some, there are these amazing stories of people who that's happened to, and then they've become this inspirational story and they've, they've, they've gone on to like, you know, get, get a college degree and get a great, you know, have a great career and live a full life, you know, despite yeah. that. And it's just, uh, but like for him, it was like, I can totally see that, that perspective. Yeah. A lot of those people that become inspirational stories, they weren't doing shit with their life before their injury. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it was like, this was the moment that they're like, I got to get my, it's like, I have no other choice. This is the one path I can take or one of the few paths I can take. So let me, you know, it's, it's a wake up call and, and unfortunately a, a bad wake up call, but it's like, you know, that's, that's the direction they'll go. Like where he was kind of like, he was like in his sixties, he's almost a retirement age. Like mm -hmm. what else is he going to do to a certain extent? You know, it's like he was, you know, he was going to retire soon and like, just have a nice, have a nice life, you know, have a nice retirement with his wife and his yeah. grandkids yeah. and all that. And then boom, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's he sounds gone. like a person that up until that point was probably crushing it. Yeah. Yeah. And then he gets a situation happen to him where he can like, you know, when you're crushing it for that long, crushing it becomes part of your identity. Oh, yeah. And then when you lose that, it's like, God, just fucking kill me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's like some people, it's so hard to some people are caretakers. Right. Yeah. And they they have to that that's where how they feel useful in the world right mm -hmm. and so the idea for them to not for have for not only not to be able to take care of other people and protect other people but for having to have people take care of them is devastating right oh, like it's like i'm he, a burden this is horrible like yeah he couldn't handle it and yeah. and like like he was the type of guy like 
he and my grandmother would have all of their Christmas shopping done and wrapped by Halloween. Like that was just like, he was just in control and like just everything like, and he was always kind of in everybody's business and like, again, good guy, but just like, he's the man of the house and he's the, this is that. And then it's, it, like you said, complete role reversal and you you can't take that. Yeah. 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 Now, uh, before we move on, does that, does that affect the way that you try to apply yourself to life? Like, and and I'll I'll tell you what, uh, I'll give you an example of what I mean. Like, so I have, you have kids and I think about that. Like they get to, they're seeing me be a man like mm-hmm. I'm pretty athletic still a uh, strong guy I'm very active and I don't know if I fear it but I, I I do think about it a lot about a time when they have to see me be something different mm-hmm. right and sometimes like maybe if I would have just not been this guy it would be easier to make that transition so do, does that affect how you apply yourself to life considering what it may be later yeah I I think it's and like again, I don't have kids, so like I don't have to model for yeah. them. I have I have nieces and nephews and all, but um, but yeah, like I think, I, you know, I th- I think I've also learned that like tomorrow is is not guaranteed, you mm-hmm. know. So it's like I might as well live the way, and I don't always do this, but I always try. It. It's like I might as well live the way I want to be because like, what if that happens tomorrow? What yeah. if I what if I get a car wreck on the way home? Like what you, that can always happen. And it's always a cloud looming over your head, but then it's also like live for the day, live the way you want to live or think you should live because it's not, tomorrow's not guaranteed. Absolutely. I guess if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It totally yeah. does. Yeah. And uh, thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that story about your grandpa. And uh, did you have a question? Mm-mm. All right. Move us along. All right. Oh, that is a grief chakra unlocked, by the way. Yeah, Heart unlocks. chakra unlocked. We are to the throat chakra now. So what is a favorite lie that you have told and you get extra karmic points if it's a lie that's still in rotation? Still in rotation. It doesn't have to be. Yeah. But we like that. But, but you like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We just got done doing Chip Chantry's Patreon episode, which is Two Jack Bros After Dark. One dollar gets you all of our content, which is the counter to this podcast that you're looking at right now, which is Two Jack Bros After Dark. We also have some commentary and fight analysis on Ansley's jiu-jitsu matches that you can check out. Again, all of our content for just one dollar. Chip, did you have fun doing the Patreon? Um, I don't think I can call it fun. <laughs> I think I can call it life-altering. I'm going to oh, call it not. life-altering. And, and like I think the viewer is going to have their life change. I think there's some fun along the way. But they will, you will literally have your life changed for a dollar. One dollar. Nice. Yeah. Again, one dollar gets you not only the counter to this podcast, which is our two Jack Bros After Dark, but also Ansley's competitions and fight analysis for those and some stand-up comedy stuff that I do on the road. All of that stuff is on there for just one dollar. Now we're going to get back to this episode and find out what Chip's favorite lie is. You know, I, I think a big... I think, and it's, and I'm guilty of this. I, I think I lie to people sometimes, and I think it's a lie to myself too, where it's like, you know, like, you know with comedy, mm-hmm. there's, I'm somebody who I like to be told what to do to a certain extent. It's like, here's your job, this is what you do, here's your schedule, follow it. And it's like, I can do that, you know, like when I've had like, you know, I love the, I've had a couple of like TV writing jobs, and I love a nine to five job. If, if it's something I enjoy, you know what I mean? And it's like, mm. here's what you got to do today. And it's like, yes, sir, I'm ready to get, and like I bang it out and I'll put in 12 hours and I'm, but I'll be happy about it. 
Uh, I'm not good at being what it's like a self-starter or like organizing myself or like, you know, when it comes to comedy or writing, or you, you, there's so many options. It's like, I can do a podcast. I can make a video. I can book more shows. I can, you know, I can send out my veils. I can write a script. I can do whatever. And you hang out and watch YouTube all day. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I lie to myself a lot that like, it's like, it's like that five o'clock every day, especially when my wife, like she works from home right now, you know, just with the, with the lockdown and like we're in this apartment and it's like, she's done at five o'clock. And then I'm like, well, I guess I could have put it, I put a good day in today. And it's like, did I get nearly as much done as I could have? Cause I'm like, I get, I get scattered and I don't get, I, it's, it's hard for me to focus sometimes. So like, I'm like, yeah, I did a good job. And like, I, and so I definitely lie to like, you know how the people are like, oh, what are you working on? What's the project? It's like, oh, I'm working on this script or I'm, I got this meeting or whatever. And then it's like, I really should be working more on that. And like, and like, but then I even tell myself too, like, it's like, if I would have really applied myself, like, where would I be now? Would I have a bigger job? Would I have more dates? Would I be headlining? Would I have a more famous podcast? Would I have written a, more scripts? And I definitely lie to myself that I'm like, oh yeah, I put a lot of work in today. And it's like, <laughs> I could have worked a lot harder today. Yeah, I, I <clears throat> literally just today, I decided that I was going to start being very open about how much productivity my day had. Productivity, that's the word, that's exactly what I was like, yes. Yeah, and so, with because like, <laughs> like it's easy, like you say, it's easy to say, this, oh yeah, I, I did a lot of stuff today. Yep. And they don't know. They're right. just going to have to take your word for it. But yep. today, I got almost nothing done. Mm -hmm. And uh, when Ansley asked me how my day was, I just blurted out. I didn't do anything. I just sat around all day and I didn't get anything done. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it felt good. Yeah. I mean, not it didn't feel good, but it's like I I need to start being truthful about that so that the world is seeing me the right way so I get motivated. Yeah. To be more productive. Because there's there's nothing wrong with a little bit of shame. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, I'm ashamed of myself. Yeah. I sh but then move move on then it's like that you're disappointed in yourself right like i'm disappointed yeah. myself right now so it's like well don't just wallow in the disappointment it's like I, I i really put in a c minus effort today like okay well then tomorrow i'm gonna i'm gonna work extra hard you know one thing i heard um it was actually in kashakin it was right down the street uh i'm sorry i didn't pull up your spot no that's all good uh <laughs> we we train in martial arts we uh, yeah, welcome that's right invaders yeah. um, <laughs> uh i was at a meeting with uh with, with this guy for this like business that he has in, in the city and he asked me to sort of be a part of it and kind of like help out with something with, with like a comedy angle to it and he had this guy that might have been like an investor or whatever and he was like he was a serious business guy you know and like yeah. this guy that I'm in that I'm not in business with him but I like help him with his stuff sometimes he's kind of like at the level that I am like he's probably a little bit further ahead but like he's very scattered and like super ADD and the one thing and I try to remember this this could be helpful though I try to remember this too he's like you're always busy but you're not accomplishing anything. You know what I mean? It's like mm -hmm. you're always busy, but you're not. So it's like you're doing all this stuff that you think you're, you're you're filling your time, but you're not being productive. You're not being in productivity. And he was like, and I guess this is a business term. I don't know anything about business. But like he was like, you can work on your business or you can work in your business. And he's like, right now, he's talking to this guy. He's like, you're working in your business. You're so scattered and you're day-to-day -day that you're running around and doing all this extra bullshit that you, if you were organized – you wouldn't have to do this every day. Like, get it organized. And then you're not working in your business. Then you can work on your business and thinking about tomorrow. And like, okay, I have this organized now or I can delegate to somebody else. Now I can work on my business and worry about, like, selling more or, like, expanding or, like, moving it forward where he was just always working in his business. So I try to think of that, too, of, like, 
I work in my business a lot where I'm just like doing busy work mm-hmm. that I don't need to be doing. And it's like, I need to be working on my business and like, what's going to propel me ahead. And I don't always, I don't do it as much as I should. Yeah. And, and I lie to myself a lot about it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I hope you don't see this. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm deleting this app. I'm just not listening to podcasts anymore. But like, I, but it, it's, I lie to myself and it's like, I lie to my wife sometimes and I lie to friends and lie to, uh, you know, could be, Oh, what are you, Oh, I'm working on this. And it's like, it comes out of my mouth and it's like, I should have been working on this for the last two weeks and yeah. I haven't been. Yeah. 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 I'm, yeah. And, and that is, I, that is a throat chakra unlocked and, and uh, that's, ironically something that I'm actively working on right now yeah. as well. And um, you and I someday we're going to be actual presidents of uh, <laughs> na- our national honor societies again. We're going to take it back. We're going to take all three of us. We're going to take we it back. Do it. We can do it. I'll yeah. be a secretary. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. We should have our own national honor society. Yeah. It's, like, it's, like, it's like old school, but like the nerdiest version of old school. Yeah. Yeah. See, that would be yeah. so fun. An yes. adult national honor society. Yes. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I got to get my grades up. <laughs> were you guys like this like i was in high school like i was uh like i like i was i was voted like best personality and like i got along with everybody but like i wasn't popular like i wasn't in the cool kids like maybe you guys might have been but like i felt cool in the national honor society Do you know what i mean like or like the yeah. theater and like i was in like the choir but like i was like one of the cool guys in the choir do you know what i mean like that yeah. was like my favorite thing because it was like oh this is the first time i actually because it was like people who were like me and i liked it but it was like Oh, I got to be cool for once because I was in like I was the cool guy in the National Honor Society. Yeah, I was I was known. I was uh, popular. I wouldn't necessarily call myself. People knew me because of track. Yeah. People knew me because of my our school did a really good job of celebrating people for their academic successes as yep. well. So I was very known for those two things. But I never went to a high school party. Never, yeah. Not a oh, single like, one. I was like the ones that I went to were like the theater kids and the music kids. Like, and yeah. we had a great time. But like, I was not. I was actually like. And like I'm, I was this like you know skinny little kid, nerdy kid, theater kid, whatever. And but like I was all and like I was nice to everybody, and like I had lots of friends, but like not a whole lot of close friends because it was just like oh this, you know just like whatever. But like I was like outwardly an asshole to the popular kids, like because mm. like I saw other kids that would want to be a part of that, and that was kind of like a bullshit meter that came up. I was like I don't want to be friends with them; they just seem like dicks. And so I was literally like outwardly just. I was like, I don't want to be friends with you. I'm going to be very honest with you. Like, and like, and some of them were like really nice guys and they'd be like, oh, hey man. I'd be like, go fuck yourself. And yeah. I was just very, I was, I was angry. I think I was a very angry kid. So my, I did get a senior superlative, which was biggest flirt. Nice. That was the biggest That's a flirt. good one. It was. And so for me, I was, I did hang out with mostly the theater kids and the, you know, the band kids. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But as the biggest flirt, I didn't want to cut off any of my avenues to finger chicks. <laughs> so I was pretty I was pretty good at, you know, hanging out and being cordial with everyone. With everybody. Yeah, I had yeah. to keep it all on the table. Yeah. You know. We every year in high school we would take the, uh, the music department. It was like the band, chorus and orchestra. I was in the chorus, the choir. And but like all of us would like go away for like a four day weekend to like a competition. So like the one year we went to Wildwood and the one year we went to Boston, one year we went to Myrtle Beach for like four days. And it was like the greatest four days of, cause it was like, there was none of those other kids there. Like mm-hmm. the cool kids weren't around. Like we were all the cool kids, but yeah. we were just like the band kids and the, you know, but like we felt cool for four days out of the school year. Yeah. I always felt cool amongst all the different groups that I hung out with. Yeah. And then when I was with the cool kids, I was the funniest one. So I right. was still the coolest yep. one. Exactly. Ever, you had you know? to be funny. Like that's yeah. so like I, I 
and that was the way like I was not good with girls at all. Like I was so afraid of of girls. I was the <laughs> worst. But like the one way that because like I I was this nerdy kid and like whatever I wasn't good at sports and but like it was like oh I can make a girl laugh like and that was like my in that that was like my first real drive to be funny like when I hit like seventh grade and was like oh I need to set myself apart and like try to get these girls attention yeah that was literally the only thing I did. but like of course I'd be like talking about the Three Stooges and like yeah, 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 you know yeah. like like stuff that they you know the kids in the hall they, they don't watch the kids in the hall but like that was. Yeah. That's what I thought would get me uh, get me popular. Ansley's a little clammed up right now because she was one of the cool kids in her no, school. No, I and there's nothing I wrong wasn't. with that. There's I wasn't wrong with it. though. No, I bopped around in all the yeah. groups because like I was a really big nerd in like middle school, and then like I think it was like eighth grade. I was like realized that there were cool kids, and I was right. like, what? I like I want to be, but like they were. I realized they were playing like sports together like girls and boys and like i wanted to go play the sports oh. but then it was like you had to be a cool kid to get invited to the, like kickball with the boy like the co-ed you know but you just you were i wanted to play the kickball <laughs> you just want to be there for the sports <laughs> yeah. right that's like, great I was, I yeah you're, and then i'm gonna then, win <laughs> <laughs> but then like and then i started being like oh i want to be like with the cool kids yeah and but like by the time i got to high school but i wasn't like so i kind of stayed friends with all like the nerdy kids from middle school, like, and I stayed in, like, the, mm -hmm. you know, the AP classes and stuff. And, like, I would be part of, like, I did some of the, like, I had a lot of friends in the theater groups. Yep. So, like, I would do theater, like, I did a play or two, but, like, I definitely wasn't, like, like, you know, like, you have your own hierarchy there. So, right, like, right, right. Yeah. like, I wasn't, like, it was just, like, I was, like, in there. around there. Yeah. And then, but, like, the cool kids, you know, like, I don't know if any, I don't know if people really feel like they're the most like popular because like I wasn't that either like right you know yeah. but I would go to the cool kids parties right but like you know I don't know well just... and then looking back it's like the coolest kid in school thought he was a loser probably you know like we yeah. all we were all so insecure that I think that was that's a big part of it yeah yeah so and we'll definitely consider that a throat chakra unlocked and that and again that was uh Chip has been lying to himself and his wife about his productivity yes yes I have <laughs> and I need to be better at it yeah and uh, thank you for sharing that, of course. Ansley, move it along. We are now to the third eye chakra. Ooh, all right. All right, so... So, so we're out of the physical chakras. We're into the metaphysical chakras. Okay. All, all right. right. So what is something that you always thought was separate, but you're learning are the same? Things that are separate are the same. All right. I, again, I'm, I feel like I'm promoting Dale Carnegie more than I'm promoting my own business. <laughs> but one of the big in, in this, and it, it's really turned my like I've really thought about things differently these last couple of months that I've read it. Uh, but this, I think about this numerous times a day now for like the last couple of months. Um, what's different, separate, but but you realize it's the same. Um, you know, just like the last couple of years, just with COVID and with politics and with everything, it's like everybody's so separated and everybody's like so angry and like I fall into it too. It's like I get angry at the other side and like, you know, you, you know, assholes, you know, like whatever, you know, and it's just like I get so angry at, at, at though and like how, you know, it's like some of my family members are like, you know, it's like, oh, you guys are on the dark side, not like I'm right. And, you know, it's just like it's, ter it's terrible. I get so angry. And then it's like, like again, like I, I was talking about going out to State College earlier and it's mm -hmm. like I'm at this Elks Lodge where it's like just, it's a, a show it like a parking lot full of pickup trucks and i'm like these fucking people you know what i mean yeah. like this is like this is they're the enemy you know and it's like but then they were great you know what i mean and going back to this book the one thing that that he, he talks about is this blew my mind 
people have certain needs. Human beings have certain needs. So it's like oxygen, food, water, shelter, you know that. But as part of human nature, and it's not, this is not just like a hoity-toity thing. This is a thing that human beings need is that human beings need to feel important. People need to feel important. It's like, it's, it's not that people want to feel important. It's like there is this some sort of, it's in our DNA or whatever. Like we need to feel part of a, a group, a society. We need to feel either loved or respected or just contributing to something. We, we need to feel important somehow. And if you remember that about people, it's like it explains 90% of people's actions is that, oh, they just need to feel important. So like what I've tried to do is like think about like, those people are so different from me. Like they're so separated from me, like so different. And, or even like if I go to a comedy show and like somebody's yelling out or they're talking or whatever, I used to get so mad, but now it's like, oh, they just need to feel important. And they're, they have to sit there quietly and they can't handle that. And they think that nobody's paying attention to them because the guy on stage is talking, but I need to get my opinion across or that asshole on Facebook puts some horrible meme out or like write something terrible, racist, whatever. And it's like, I'm not saying that that's right, Mm -hmm. but I'm saying it explains why that's happening. And it's like, oh, both sides are, I mean, there's many sides, but it's like, we all just need to feel important. And like that motivates everybody. And it's, you look at most people, what people do, good or bad. And it's like, it's because they want to feel, not want, they need to feel important. Mm -hmm. And I think, so I hope that. No, it it does. I mean, so uh, what, what I'm hearing is that you used to see people's motivations as different, but now you're seeing them as just one motivation, which is the need to feel important. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, obviously there are, there are different motivations for different things, but I think when you really boil down to it, it's like if you're on Facebook and you're like writing this screed or like sharing this thing, it's like you want to be a part of that group or that team, that political team or that side or that whatever, your voice needs to be heard. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. you're... And it's like, no matter who people are, like he, he was talking about in this book, if like, you talk about like these like horrible criminals, like these gangsters and you're like back in the thirties and they murder all these people. They thought they were right. They thought they were like, because as a human being, like we can't almost like fathom that like we did this wrong. It's like, we did it. This guy killed all those people for the right reasons. He yeah. thought he did it for the right reasons. And it's like, so it's like, oh, that's why people do that is they, they think they're doing the right thing. So as, as long as... And like I even look at family members, like there's some family members like on the other, and it's like, oh, they, you know, like they think that that's the right thing to do. So I'm not, I'm not saying it is, yeah. and I'm not saying I'm always right, but it's it explains. It's like, oh, of course that's why you think that because you need to feel important and you 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 think you're on that on that side. Yeah, when you brought up those those uh, gangsters and stuff from back in the day, I had this quick image of like Bonnie and Clyde, like fleeing from a bank heist just looking at each other like what's so important <laughs> God, we're so important yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like we're doing this for the good we're we're righting the wrongs because we have been wronged all our lives or whatever so we're just getting what's ours you know what what what's belongs to us like this isn't we're we're robin hood you know like we're stealing from the rich giving you the poor even though it's like ourselves but like it's justification for what they think yeah but so when you're dealing with family members and you're like looking at it through this um, lens and somebody's doing something impacting you in, say, a negative way yep. or, you know, like, and you're like, you can understand why they're doing this. It's like, do you placate their need or their, their, their need to feel important or do you, you know, like, because 
even though you understand everybody has this need to feel important, that doesn't mean that you can treat other people however you want, right? Absolutely, yeah. And so it's, and I'm not, I'm the least confrontational person in the world. Like I'm super passive aggressive and I don't know how to, like I, I I'm, I'm, I'm terrible at debating. Like I, just because like I'm just not good at arguing and, and I, so like I'm just, so I don't engage a lot and I probably mm-hmm. should. And then like, but then it'll stop and then I'll be at some family party or something like that or be with somebody and they say something like, you're fucking racist asshole. What, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, then, and then I just blow up and yeah. then it's like, well, that doesn't work. <laughs> uh, so like, yeah, so like I'll try to do it, but at least I can, I think what it just does, it like slows me down to be like, to understand and it's like okay let's go three steps back if they're doing something really terrible at least now i understand the motivation is there something i can do then to like cut off that motivation or like approach it some way to be like i think i can kind of understand how they're thinking so then how can i then maybe change that line of thinking for them be like okay well you think you're being wrong so that's why you're doing this thing to this other person but really what you're doing is x y and z and then maybe they can step back and be like Oh, that's what I'm doing. Like, also, like in this book, they 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 quoted Lincoln. Lincoln was somebody was like, I think it was like a Confederate general, or was like some opposing senator or something like that. That was like really was hating on Lincoln and was like calling all these names and basically like calling for his head, basically, and just like you know he's the worst, you know, whatever. And somebody asked Lincoln, they're like, you must really hate this guy. You know, how do you feel about him? You must hate him because he's saying all these terrible things about you and saying how you're ruining this country and all this stuff. And he actually says, he's like, no, actually, I don't hate him at all. He's like, if I grew up where he grew up and was raised the way he was and was surrounded by the people that he is, I'd probably think that same exact way because you're a product of your environment, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's not that it's right, but he's like, if I was, so it's sort of like an empathetic thing where like, well, yeah, if like, if I was on that, like, again, and it kind of goes back to the comedy too, where it's like, if I just stayed like where I grew up and like stayed in that small town or whatever, like I probably have a lot of the same views. Like comedy brought me to like, to live in the, in the city and then to travel more and see other cities and see other parts of the country. And it's like, it you meet different types of people. And it's like, it's, it's more eye opening. And you're like, mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I, you know, have a, this experience and this experience where it's like, if somebody doesn't have that experience, it's like, they don't have that worldview. So again, it's not, it's not a justification for what they do, but I think it's like, it's at least an understanding of like, oh, this is why they think this. Now what can I do to maybe come at them from a different angle to try to change their mind? Mm-hmm. But I'm not very good at that. I'm imagining Lincoln handling it kind of the way Trump would have handled it. <laughs> but he's like, yeah, if my mom was a bitch and my dad was a loser and we were dirt farmers, I'd probably think the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. right, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. But All right, so that's definitely a third eye chakra unlocked. Yes. Yeah, Ansley. Final question. Your crown chakra. Okay. It's a two-part question. All right. What is one thing... Oh, and by the way, do you have time to stick around for the Patreon? We didn't even ask that. Sure. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. What is one thing you can't give up and why? That's mm-hmm. part one. And what would giving it up mean? Very boring, but very, uh, I think, big answer for that. And you guys might actually have a lot to say about this. I hope you do. Um it's like one thing I can't give up is it, I can't give up and why, right? <laughs> My hatred of interracial couples. Yes. This is where it comes out. Yeah. It's like this is where this is your ruining society. <laughs> um, 
what I can't give up, and it's dumb, but I think it's it's a big thing, is just eating shitty food, junk food, mm. and whether it's like candy or snack cakes or, 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 or you know, or, or just like, you know, pizza and hoagie, whatever it is, you know, like just junk food. And I've never been a great eater. My wife has made, she's a very healthy eater and she's made me healthier over the years. But if I could, so it's like, why can't I do it? Just because it's a habit. It's, it's love it. Like I, I'm, I'm sure there's a sugar addiction. I've gotten better over the years, but like, it's still like, all I think about right now is like, oh, if I, when I leave here, I could stop at McDonald's or like I could go to Wawa and get like whatever, you know what I mean? And so it's like that, so I just have this addiction to it. Like it's like, and like, it's, it's like the one thing that I can reward myself with. Like I don't drink a whole lot. I don't really do drugs or anything like that, but it's like when I'm at a show, like I can think like, oh, I'm going to reward myself after the show by going and getting what, you know, some horrible meal and uh milkshakes are great and uh and what that means if i did give it up i would be healthier and and i'm not getting any younger so it's like i want to stay healthy i'm getting better shape you know i probably like you know we're we're in entertainment it's like you look better you know more presentable on stage or maybe like tv opportunities or whatever and then i think about it too and it's like going back to like my health anxiety and my uh like hypochondria it's like I'm worried that like my organs are shutting down or like I whatever a heart attack or and it's like I know that when I'm in a phase where I'm eating right and I'm exercising and I'm treating myself good I know I'm getting better and mm. then I'm uh, I have the worst guilty conscience in the world so like I just feel bad about myself and it's like I've been eating like shit so therefore I'm going to die and my liver is going to fail and my heart's going to so it's like but if if I know I'm on the right path, I'm in a mental place where I'm like, oh, I'm doing the best I can. I'm exercising, I'm working out, I'm eating right. And then when I'm in those phases, my like hypochondria drops way down. Mm. Like I, I feel a lot better. So it's like why I don't do it. And I'm again, I've been better. But like if I just drop that, I'd I'd be feeling mentally and physically ten times better. Man, uh, that was a great answer. And I'll tell you how bad it is for me. As soon as you said eating shitty food. My mouth started watering. Yeah, yeah. You didn't even describe any foods yet. You just said eating shitty food, and I was like, "Oh my god, I could do that right now." Yeah, <laughs> like right now. Yeah, um, we did. You know, it's so funny. My, you know, people do like dry January. You know, mm-hmm. drink January, and so we did that. And not to blow up her spot, but like my wife is like, she like her, a lot of her family will do that, and like she's like, I want that. I want a glass of wine. Like I want it. You know, like but she doesn't. She she's super good about it, and like so she didn't drink it all January. I did dry January too. I didn't think twice about it. It doesn't bother me at all. I was like, oh, I don't have to have a drink. Like, I don't, like, it. I went halfway through February without having a drink, not even thinking about it. But mm. then in February, I was like, maybe I'm going to do like a no junk food February. And she's like, oh, I'll do that with you. I was like, shit. <laughs> and so then I had to do it. And it was way harder than January was. Yeah. Like, yeah. super hard. Less days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, so, yeah. yeah. I'm one month into working with a nutritionist and oh, like I heard setting you say that on the, macros they, and yeah. stuff. And um, how's it going? It's good. I yeah. mean, like like you said, I feel so much better. Yeah. Like you know, because um, you feel you feel better, and then mentally you're like, oh, I'm doing the right thing. I'm going in the right direction. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And like my joints feel better. And like, but still, like like Sydney said, when you were like talking about food and milkshake and stuff, it was like, yeah, yeah. Like, Is it? it yeah. And not to like, I know it's super complicated. Is there like one thing that really shocked you or one thing that like, 
oh my God, I can't believe I was eating this one thing that was terrible or like, oh, here's an easy thing that I can do. Or like, has there been like one big change where you're like, oh, I really like this new food now or like I've learned this. No, I mean, I always liked eating, like I didn't have a problem with eating healthy food or anything. Um, And it is, it's a lot of, because it's like through jujitsu and for, you know, athletics it's a lot of protein so it's a lot of meat eating okay um to get that pro you know it's like yogurt like greek yogurt sure. and like cottage um cheese or whatever and uh that, that sounded gross yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> i don't admit that well, to when anybody you, when you space it that much <laughs> yeah <laughs> you make cottage cheese sound cottage way worse <laughs> <laughs> but it is like it the, the thing that's shocking i think is that like once I said to myself, like, um, and like, they're like, oh, you can eat anything you want. It just has to fit in your macros. But like to make it fit in there, like you can't eat anything you want, you know, like, yeah, yeah. Um, so like, you're like, no, I have freedom. I can do this, you yeah, know, yeah. but like not, you know, and like I have like, like I get the kids, like, it's not like they're not eating sweets and stuff. And so like, I get them like muffins and like Rice Krispie treats and like, I'm like carrying it around and like smelling them eating cupcakes and stuff. And it's like, I want that. But at the same time. I don't know, like when you pass eating it, you're like, it's like, yeah, that's fine. It wasn't yeah. that bad to not do it, you know? You know, that's one thing I've, I've learned too, where it's like, it's that build up too. Like you say, like your mouth waters. It's like, I, I enjoy that lead up to it. Like, so if I know like I'm at a show and I'm going to walk home, I'm going to walk past Wawa and I'm going to stop in and get like the worst food in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm excited for it for those like two, three hours leading up to it. Even sometimes all day, it's like, oh, at the end of the night, I'm going to Wawa. And... But then I eat it and I feel like shit for the rest of the day, the day or like, especially if it's like earlier in the day, like, oh, I'm yeah. going to get some, I'm going to stop at Dunkin' Donuts this morning and I'm going to get some donuts and mm-hmm. some, uh, a coffee with tons of sugar and whatever. And so I think about it and it builds up and it builds up and I'm enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as I eat it, I feel terrible for the rest of the day. But what I try to do is I lie to myself and I try to I'll ride that wave. <laughs> yeah. And then I just won't make the right hand turn into Dunkin' Donuts. And I feel so accomplished with myself. And I feel so proud of myself that like I feel like I've done something productive, which I haven't. But like at least I've like, well, I didn't do that. So then I feel I'm like the proudest little boy in the world where I was like, they, I didn't eat that shitty food. They say though, like, because like I was reading about like visual visualization with athletics and stuff, like your brain you get more rewards out of your brain like leading up to doing the drugs if you're an addict or leading up to eating the sweets. Like it's not the actual act yeah. that lights up the most centers in your brain. Really? It's like, yeah, so it is like there's truth to that. Yeah, I almost got away from Wawa the other day. I was leaving Philly. I forget why I was even in Philly the other day. Oh, uh, the other I did the riff mic on Monday. Mm-hmm. And so I stopped at the, uh, the Wawa over by the Whole Foods mm-hmm. and there were no parking spaces. Yeah. So, okay, you just keep going. You just keep going. Just keep going. Yeah. And then I should have got on the highway, but I went the back roads. And <laughs> on the back roads, you go past two other Wawa's. <laughs> and I rode past my middle Wawa, and I saw it, and it was like, well, there's no cars parked at this one. That's sketchy. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, that's not that sketchy. And then I just parked. got <laughs> 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 a donut. So, but yeah, I almost made it. Almost. I almost made it. Like, yeah. if, there, if there was... I mean, I could just see the the workers because there was nobody in the Wawa, so all the workers were just like hanging out, talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, they look pleasant enough." <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. So, but Chip, that's it. How do you feel, man? I feel. Be- I honestly feel a lot better. Like, I feel like I've 
I've talked this out a little bit and, and, and worked it out. So thank you guys. I feel unlocked. Nice. Yeah. I feel unlocked. Hell yeah. Energy flowing. I know, yes. that was, that was, this was a good one, man. I yeah, feel like this was fun. You, you just happened to hit on a lot of the things that I was uh, needed to be unlocked as well. So good. That was awesome. We did it <laughs> together. Awesome. Vote uh, for us. Yes. yes. For <laughs> president, co-presidents of the National Honor Society. <laughs> Anthony, write that down. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, all right. So remember, check out Chip and J- uh, da- uh, James Heskey's podcast, Dangerous Thing. And also check him out on April 1st, April Fool's Day at, what is that theater again? Uh, it's Crossroads Comedy Theater. Crossroads Comedy Theater. And I, and I promise you, you'll you'll go see him and then you'll be like, I got to let Sydney know how fucking amazing that was. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And uh, also we're about to hop into the Patreon with Chip. And what we're going to do there is we're going to enlighten his shadow self. So this podcast is above. As above is below. Our Patreon is below. So come check it out for only $1. And I promise you, uh, this is going to be a good time. Thank you so much. We're See out. ya. To Jack Rose, to Jack Rose.